few years ago, I was sitting next to a colleague at the Nashville airport watching a newscast on CNN on the television there in the waiting area. I remember it was a story about the refugee crisis, which was just beginning to emerge uh, in the American consciousness. The reason it was emerging in the American consciousness as well as in many other places was uh, because of a photograph. You remember the photograph, I'm sure, a toddler's body had washed ashore on Bodrum Beach in Turkey, and a photo of that child had spread around the world. The little boy dressed in a red shirt, blue pants, and tiny black shoes. Photo was arresting because I think for many it highlighted that this horror had spared no one of any age, even the most vulnerable, the little children. The civil war in Syria combined with terrorist acts that were popping up in other places around that region gave all of us a sense of not knowing what was going to happen next, of being subjected to powers beyond our control. And if we felt that in the relative safety of the United States, we can only imagine the horror that those who lived through it felt. My colleague and I were waiting to get on a plane, go to Austin, as we watched this news, we were both heading there to the seminary uh, to do doctorate of ministry work. She looked over at me and pointed at the screen and said, what they need is Jesus. What they need is, is Jesus. I remember at the time being caught off guard by her words. Truthfully, it seemed like just one more rather trite response to a serious global concern. It made me think of a story that's not quite so serious, but it reminded me of the story of a minister who was doing a children's sermon, and he, he asks, what's brown and climbs in trees and has a big bushy tail? And there's silence. And he says, I know that you know this, children, what's brown and climbs in trees and has a big bushy tail. And one of the children tentatively raises her hand, and when the minister calls on her, she says, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm sure it's Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's what came to my mind when my colleague made her airport pronouncement. What they need is Jesus. I thought, I thought she was using that word Jesus like a magic talisman, as if she could wave it around and in doing so avoid all thought beyond that, perhaps all engagement beyond that, perhaps all compassion beyond that. Well, they need Jesus. Kind of like, just say Jesus three times, and it will all go away. 
That's what I was thinking. So I thought it only proper that I ask her gently, could you elaborate on that? And she looked at me as if it should be obvious what she was saying. Just what I said, she answered. They need Jesus. Now I must say the thoughts going through my mind toward my colleague whom I I really care about at that moment were not very charitable. I thought, frankly, that she was being naive. Did she not comprehend the complexity of the global situation that had produced this Syrian civil war? Did she not understand the complexity of the rise of a group like ISIS and the terror that they were spreading all throughout the region? she not understand how all of those things were conspiring to bring refugees from other countries all to the shores of these little spots in places like Lesbos, Greece? Read the Bible, yes, I thought, but pick up a newspaper too while you're at it. Jesus, that's all you've got? I thought to myself gotten better as I've gotten older at keeping them to myself as our plane boarded. But I also thought of this uh, conversation again as I was reading this text. Today's text consists really of three brief episodes told in Mark's uh, telltale, breathless style. First this happened And then right away this happened, and then immediately this happened, and just now this happened. That's the way Mark tells most of his gospel story about Jesus. There's a word for it that comes up in our story, feverish. Mark writes at a feverish pace. And the Jesus he speaks of more times than not is on the move. Across the Sea of Galilee and back, up and down, all throughout the region always moving. So it's, um, it's perhaps telling and fitting that when Jesus enters the house of Simon, he finds Simon's mother-in-law laid up in bed with a fever. In a way, she is the embodiment of this gospel. Her body has been mobilized against whatever it is that has invaded it. Her body is doing battle. And even though she isn't moving, she feels that oppressive heat coming from within. And Jesus no sooner helps Peter's nameless mother-in-law to her feet than the city is bringing everyone. Anyone who is sick, anyone who Mark says is possessed by demons, everyone is there, the whole city, pressing against the door. Fever, so much need, so much saving that needs to take place, so much liberating that needs to take place. And Mark tells us Jesus healed and liberated many. All who were sick, immediately. The whole city, it's fast, it's it's feverish. The healing power will not be denied. Everywhere Jesus goes, the kingdom draws so near that the demons run scared and diseases fly away. 
fever lifts and everyone comes, the whole city, to Jesus' door. That's why the next thing that happens is so startling and really amazing for this particular gospel. Suddenly, Mark slows down his story. And Jesus, very early in the morning, while everyone is still asleep, goes to a deserted place to pray. I've always imagined this night as a moonlit night, brightly lit, as it was here recently. I imagine the only sounds Jesus hears are the light touch of his feet on dirt and maybe the occasional stirring animal. He walks and walks deeper and deeper into the darkness until his breathing slows. He finds a spot and the fever lifts. And from this vantage point, in communion with God, he can see more clearly his call. He gains perspective and he knows what must happen next. It is in the dark and quiet and solitude that he uncovers what will be key moving forward. The miracles, the big crowds, the clamoring, the grasping that culminates in his disciples hunting him down in that quiet place. These are not the things ultimately that he came to do. These are signs of that ultimate thing he came to do. What he came to do was bring a message. And what is that message? That the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It's the same message he delivered to the disciples that caused them to leave their nets and their families and follow him. That is what I came out to do, announces Jesus. And what he came out to do has not changed. It is proclaimed from pulpits around the world on the Lord's day. It is signed in water and bread and wine. It is discovered living in community. It is walked in mission and service. That is what he came to do. And that is what we are here to do. And the demons are out there as well. I know it's a bit treacherous to talk about demons from a Presbyterian pulpit. I've had people ask me, do you believe in literal demons? And I have to ask them, what do you mean by literal? And then I say, yes, I do actually. There's no denying it. Now, I'm not talking about the little devils with pitchforks and horns. And I'm not talking about the sort of thing you might see in a horror movie. No, when the Bible speaks of demons, it's more in the sense of what Paul meant when he talked about principalities and powers. It's those, it's those things that seem to assert themselves from outside of us. They seem out of our control. In the, in the ancient world, of course, all kinds of maladies that we would give other names today 
they would ascribe them to demons because they felt as though those things crushed on them from outside of themselves. It was a way of talking about those kinds of things that that you had no other words for. Like a little boy drowning in the sea and washing ashore. A victim of forces so much larger than his little body and mind could comprehend or defend itself from. I think that's demonic. And I think it's easy to fall into the pattern of the disciples, particularly Simon Peter in this story. They do not really understand who Jesus is at this point. And that misunderstanding will follow them throughout this gospel. All they know is that these large crowds are following him. The whole city and all of these sicknesses are being cured. And the demons are fleeing away. So when he tries to find a spot of solitude, they hunt him down and try to get him to return to the fray. They say to him, they need you. Everyone's looking for you. They need you, Jesus. Contrast their response with Peter's mother-in-law. You remember the one healed of her fever early in the story? Her response is to get up from her bed, newly restored, and serve Jesus. Serve him humbly. She will be joined by other women in this gospel. The poor widow, the woman who comes in and anoints Jesus for burial, the women at the cross, the women at the tomb. While Simon hunts Jesus down to clamor for the crowds, for more healing, while he himself does nothing for them, others seem to understand that to be touched by Jesus is to be called to a way of life in response to Jesus, a response of loving service, of faithful following in his way. And Jesus in this text rejects a response to himself that focuses exclusively on the miracles. I believe he continues to reject such responses. He came first and foremost to bring a message, the nearness of the kingdom. He came to call followers to walk in the light of that kingdom. So yes, my colleague was right in a way, but only partly right. Of course they need Jesus. Of course. And we do too. All of us together. Those who are beset by those forces that seem to have their way with them, We all need Jesus. But to the extent that that means throwing up our hands and hunting him down and demanding that he do something, then we are also missing what he ultimately came to do. We are his body. We are those summoned to respond to his touch, to follow in his way. And thanks be to God, I see evidence of that following in this place every day. 
whether very far away in the, in the very region where that little boy washed ashore, facing the demonic with loving service, or close to home in visiting in the home or hospital of someone who is sick and longing for a compassionate touch. Or those of you who give of your time so generously to walk alongside a confirmation student for nine months, exploring this word that Jesus came to give, fleshing out this message, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, and what that means for their lives. Or our youth who lead us by example, week in and week out, as they continue to ponder and live what it means to welcome all and make room and then again more room in the circle for those drawn to this community that's formed by this message. I am inspired daily by the ways you remember what Jesus came to do and follow in that way. Jesus is not just a name to me. He cannot be waved around like a magic wand to make everything better. Jesus is a way, a way in the world. His summons is not to move away from the pain and suffering of the world, but toward it. His summons is not to a life of isolated removal, but to life in community where love creates vulnerability and we take the risks that love entails and we take them together. Most importantly, his way is not a cynical hopelessness satisfied with easy pronouncements that leave us a step removed, but with the messy hope that walks in the way of the kingdom that has drawn near. Most importantly, Jesus is alive, and Jesus is here, and his spirit is at work in us and in the world. So yes, Mark's gospel is feverish most of the time. This happened, then this happened, immediately this happened. And at once, immediately, the spirit called a group of people from this congregation to the very place where that toddler washed ashore. And Kathy McCall, one of those participants, recently wrote this. In light of all, instead of giving over to a despair of the situation or giving rein to my own small frustrations, I am reminded that God loves, sees, and hears all of his children, and his heart is broken at such pain and suffering. Because of this, we can rest in his spirit and allow our own spirits to be so guided as we do the work of each day. That is what he came to do. May it be so for all of us, today and every day. Amen.